If you would, take your Bibles and turn with me to Exodus chapter 20. We have finished the study through Zechariah. Next month, our plan is to start 1 John. But for this month, we're going to take three one-off sermons. Today, we're going to deal with Christian stewardship, financial stewardship. Next week, we'll look at relationships in the Christian life. Then we're going to look at citizenship. So what's it mean to be a patriot and a Christian? And so we're going to look at those things. And then the last week is going to be the means of grace that God has given us uh, and how we exercise and walk in them. And so that's the plan for the month to, to come. And so uh, today, Acts, I mean, Exodus chapter 20, we'll be in verse 15, and our topic is Christian stewardship. The Baptist Faith and Message 2000 says this concerning stewardship. According to the scriptures, Christians should contribute of their means cheerfully, regularly, systematically, proportionately, and liberally for the advancement of the Redeemer's cause on earth. Let's read Exodus. Chapter 20, verse 15. You shall not steal. This ends the reading of God's word. <laughs> you shall not steal. Now we're going to talk about uh, Christian stewardship. Uh, stewardship in terms of our finances as, as Christians. I want us to start off just by defining terms, because not everybody means the same things, even though we use the same words. So I'm going to give you two categories of uh, those who seek to uh, carry out faithful Christian giving, and then I'll, I'll mention one that's not biblical. First off, biblical tithing. Uh, perhaps you grew up with this. This is all I ever heard of growing up. It's probably all many of you had ever heard of growing up. And so I'm just going to walk through both of these views, and I'm not going to argue for or against. I'm going to tell you what they are, uh, give scriptural support for them, and then uh, I won't critique them. Maybe that'll be a good thing for a Q&A evening one night, if you want, we could do that. But I just want to present these to you, and then we'll dive into Exodus 20 and make some applications. First off, biblical tithing. Christians should continue to tithe 10%, even though we are no longer under the Mosaic Covenant, even though we are now under a new and better covenant. There is a moral command of God to perpetually and consistently, uh, that is consistently applied to all God's worshipers to the end of the age. There is a moral obligation for the Christian to tithe. Tithes were paid before the law of Moses was given, before that Mosaic period. You see Abraham dealing with the priest Melchizedek in Genesis 14.20. Then it is confirmed by Moses in the law that God gives him. So the fact that it occurs before the law points to the fact that this is a law of nature. This is something that is good and right. John Owen says, 
It could have no other foundation. Matthew 23, verse 23, where Jesus speaks of, uh, to those, uh, concerning the Pharisees, concerning their tithing of mint and cumin. And Jesus says, they should have done this. In fact, they should have done more. They should have also obeyed the weightier matters of the law, not just tithing, but justice and mercy and faithfulness. Now you may think, well, they're Pharisees. Obviously, they should be tithing. tithing. They're under the Mosaic Covenant. But in that chapter, verse 1, Jesus is addressing not the Pharisees, but his disciples. Just as Jesus, when dealing with money, instructs his disciples to give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. So while Christians are no longer under the ceremonial aspects of the law, there, are, there is a moral obligation to rightly honor the Lord with a tithe, 10%. Failure to do that is robbing God. Malachi 3, verse 8, Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and your contributions. In the Old Covenant, with ceremonial grain for worship and care of the temple, under the New Covenant, honoring God with income and being. Biblical tithing. The second view is Christian giving. Christian giving. Since, since believers are no longer under the Mosaic Covenant, and there is no numerical value placed upon our giving in the New Testament, the Christian is to acknowledge that everything comes from him. James 1.17, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. God deserves our best. We rob God when we are stingy with our time, money, abilities. In fact, the wallet is only part of our lives. We owe the Lord our very lives. Peter writes, For you know that it is not with perishable things such as silver and gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. The believer owes the Lord everything. A willingness uh, and an open-heartedness to give cheerfully to the Lord is the least we can do. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, the Lord loves a cheerful giver. The gospel has made us free from the love of money, and the believer can give freely to God, trusting that God will pour out more provision to meet their needs than we could ever even imagine. The third view, which is the non-biblical view, it's non-existent. You don't give. You do not pursue that. And I want to say that is the majority of Protestants, the majority of Southern Baptists, and the majority of us. Exodus 20, verse 15. You shall not steal. It's the eighth commandment. 
the law that God gave to Moses at Sinai, written on tablets of stone. As you know, the Ten Commandments are, are rightly understood and divided into two tables. The first four, dealing with man's relationship to God. So no other gods before me, no graven images, do not take his name in vain, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. It deals with our relationship to God and the worship of God. The second table deals with man's relationship one with another. So honor your father and mother, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not covet. They speak directly to how we function and relate as God's creatures with God's creatures in his world. All right? And all of those ten summarize morality and rightness and reflect God's own holy character. So the Eighth Commandment, you shall not steal, speaks about loving your neighbor, respecting their possessions, possessions that God has given to them, and the proper use of things that God has given to me, my possessions. It addresses the day-to-day -day, uh, world of commerce and personal finances, work and income, spending that income. It's straightforward, and we will have plenty more to say, uh, Lord willing, by the end of the year on Sunday evenings. But given that the moral law, the Ten Commandments, the summary of the moral law is, ref is, is a reflection of God's holy character, it is important for us to grasp, friends, that this commandment has several important principles that are behind it that affect everything. Prim principles that teach us about God, about God and his relationship to the world, in this case, in relationship to the material world. This is why Exodus 20 is the text chosen for a sermon on Christian stewardship. It is applicable for those who tithe and for Christians who think that means of giving has passed away. And it is applicable for those who refuse to give or plan to give. So let me walk through the principles that are behind this commandment. The Eighth Commandment. First principle. This is first chief principle. God is the owner of all things. Famously, Psalm 50, verse 10, says, For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know the birds of the hills. All that moves in the field is mine. And the world in all of its fullness is mine. Verse 12. It's not just the beast. Psalm 24, verses 1 and 2 says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the Lord, uh, the world, and those who dwell therein, for he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters. So the world and all those who dwell in the world, God is their creator, and because he is the sovereign creator of all things, he is the possessor or the owner of all things. He owns all things. Haggai, chapter 2, verse 8. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, says the Lord. Now that should have a profound effect on our view of the material world. God owns it all. He owns every bit of it. Everything in this life 
belongs to God. He has ownership rights over all things. He created it. It's his. Uh, it's his world, and he has made us stewards of the things that he owns. So as we possess things, we answer to God for how we use those things. Every financial decision relates back to God and is spiritual. So nothing is hid from the eyes of God, and it's not only what we do, but also the desires of our hearts. I was reading this week, financial records, the way we use money, tells a story. And it's a spiritual biography that is open to the eyes of God. We live, friends, in this material world, we live by faith. This material world is not the be-all, end-all for the child of God. We live by faith, believing that God, he owns everything. He owns it all. Everything belongs to him. So you got the first principle? Everything belongs to him. So let's, let's take a test. Let's, school's getting ready to start, Riley, so we're going to start with a test. You worked this week and made $400. You come to church on Sunday. How much of that $400 belongs to God? All of it. See, we've got to think, because sometimes we're, we're so trained, we say, let's say I made $400, 10% of $400 is $40, therefore $40 is God's and the rest of it's mine. No, 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 no. It all belongs to God. It's his world. He owns it all. Second great principle. God is not only the owner of it all, he's the distributor of wealth. Proverbs 2, 22, verse 2 says, The rich and the poor, the Lord is the maker of them both. 1 Samuel, chapter 2, verse 7 says that he makes rich and he makes poor. 1 Corinthians, chapter 4, verse 7 says that anything we have, we have received from God. So if you have wealth, if you have possessions, you have not achieved them, you have not attained them on your own, but your own strength, your own abilities, your own wisdom. God gives us opportunities, talents, privileges, health, education, by which we acquire these things. So we should not squander the opportunities that he gives to us. But in the end, God is the one who makes rich, makes poor. You know, how much you have or how much you do not have, that's not the important thing. It's not the important thing. We are not judged by, you should never judge someone by how much they have or how little they have. So, Nicaragua. God does not demand success. He demands faithfulness. He demands that we answer to him, that we be faithful with what he has given us. And friends, that teaches us we need to trust his provision. So don't panic, but depend on him. Depend on day to day in regard to our earthly things. So we can pray. Give us this day our daily bread. Third principle. God has an ultimate purpose with our earthly things. The ultimate purpose 
with regard to money, the possessions. It's not you. It's not me. It's not our prosperity. It's not our success. Rather, God's purpose is his own glory. His own glory. So if you ever ask the question, why do I work? Why do I do that? Why do I, uh, try, why do I have to have money in this life? Is it just for food? Is it just for health? Is it just for my advancement or for comfort? Or is it just for earthly needs? No, no, friends. It's for his glory. And we're to use it for his glory. Remember the rich fool in Luke 12, 18, where the rich fool says, hey, I'm going to build barns and take ease and eat and drink and be merry. And God says, thou fool, this night your soul will be required of you. God's purpose is not man. It's not us. It's not in giving us stuff or things. God's purpose is that I glorify him with what he has given me, that I serve him, that I glorify him. So he's created all things, he's redeemed me through the blood of Jesus Christ, so that as a believer, the things that I have been given are in turn used to glorify him. Romans eleven thirty six puts it this way, of him and through him and to him are all things. So I must serve the Lord with all that I am and all that I have. That's what we are to do. So those principles are behind this commandment. You shall not steal. Now the Bible is filled with lots of other biblical principles of financial stewardship, of handling money as a Christian. But the main thing that I want you to understand is that he owns everything, he's the distributor of wealth, and his his glory is the ultimate purpose, not only for our existence, but for our possessions. So, friends, everything you have comes from God. It's his. You own nothing. I own nothing. David said, the world and everything in it belongs to God. I'm not the owner of things in my life. I am a steward or a manager of the things in my life. You know, if I think that I am the owner, I'm going to be in constant conflict with God about what I need to do with the things that I have. But if I confess he is the owner, I'm merely a manager, that conflict is resolved, disappears. So this commandment, you shall not steal, is very specific, isn't it? And it's specific because things, material things, money has a power. And it has a power over us. Desires of our hearts. More. More money. More possessions. This commandment addresses two types of sin. Not just sin that is out there in the world. Not just sin that we can see. But also sin that's in here. Sin in our hearts. Because there is sin, right? There is sin that you can see. It's obvious. There's stealing. There's theft. It's recognizable. You can catch them. You can punish them, right? Embezzlement, money laundering, fraud, shoplifting, theft, robbing banks. You go on and on and on. There's all kind of stealing that you can see and know and prosecute. And God hates all those sins. But there's sin that God sees in the heart of man that nobody else sees. And so we need to examine ourselves, don't we? 
We need to examine our own hearts in light of, of, of this text. You know, God discovers the thieves and the robbers who appear to everyone else as honest citizens. Because God sees not just what's done, he sees our hearts. He sees greed. He sees covetousness, manipulation, dishonesty. He sees what is here. Proverbs 15, verse 3, says, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding evil and the good. We are, every one of us, there are many areas in which, in our life, we can fall into sin, the sin of theft. Especially in our hearts when we put ourselves first. We can also break this commandment, friends, by wrongly using what God has given to us, by abusing the good gifts that he has given. We waste his good gifts. God's given us all things. Uh, he owns it all. He's given, it to, given things to us. And we abuse it. We neglect it. Not only in terms of money and possessions, but talents, opportunities, relationships, even if you've got no money, you've got a home, you've got food, you've got parents, you've got relationships, you've got friends, you've got abilities, and we can steal from God by not using those things properly in a way that honors and glorifies him. Proverbs 3, verse 9 says, Honor the Lord with thy substance. And that's really a summary of the Christian, of the Christian life, Christian living. Honor the Lord with your, your whole being, your your bodies, your eyes, your minds, your possessions, all those things serve God. But we can squander them, can't we? We can squander good gifts. We waste them. We, so easy to do. When it comes to money, many of us become very private, very protective, and we say things like, it's my business how I spend my money. But it's not. We're accountable before God. We're accountable before the Almighty. We need to be, and we need to be more accountable one to another. One of the dangers of affluence is that we do not learn to be good stewards because we so easily and readily receive and then we spend according to what we want in our own desires and we forget that what we have actually does belong to God and that we will have to answer to him for the way we use it. Scriptures teach that God does not give us money to consume on our own lusts. But his kingdom must be first. Now, as I say that, don't ever think this way. I give a certain percentage to the kingdom work. I give a certain percentage for the cause of Christ, and the rest of it is for me. But rather, think this way. What I have belongs to God. And everything that he's given to me, I'm going to plan, I'm going to manage, I'm going to steward my finances and my money in such a way to serve him and to serve his kingdom and his causes. As a manager, I have a divine responsibility for the things that he's given to me. If God is the owner and I'm the manager, he has trusted me with his property, I have to, I have to learn, I have to think like a manager. A manager oversees these assets for the owner's benefit, 
the manager has no sense of entitlement to the assets he manages. The job of manager, take care of the assets. To do the will of the owner, that's his job. And it affects. It's going to affect how we give. So it affects how we give this way, abundantly. King David, he understood this owner-manager relationship. After receiving this tremendous offering, David responds to God. He says in, in 1 Chronicles 29, 14, But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? For everything comes from you. We have given you only what comes from your hand. David is thinking of a like a steward there, right? Not an owner. It's coming from God's hand. The Bible says that we should teach, give sacrificially. Remember how Paul describes those Macedonian Christians? He said, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God granted to the churches of Macedonia during a severe testing of, by affliction. Their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed into the wealth of their generosity. I testify that on that on their own, according to their ability and beyond their ability, they begged us insistently for the privilege of sharing in the ministry to the saints, and not just as we had hoped. Instead, they gave themselves, especially to the Lord, then to us by the, God's will. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. How could they give generously when they are in extreme poverty? Because they did not see poverty as an exemption from giving. The Bible says we should give joyfully. Now, you ever wondered why is that the case? Why does, why does Paul say that God loves a cheerful giver? Because that owner-manager relationship, uh, the, the manager understands that this investment is Kingdom-minded. Their, their joy is kingdom-minded. Their, their, their minds and their joys are not set here. Their mind and joys are in that which is eternal. And that's, just not, that's not just a New Testament concept. So when the tabernacle is being built in the Old Testament, uh, the people get so caught up in joy in, in, in the, in the uh, work of God, they have to be restrained from giving more. Listen to this. This is just amazing. Then all the craftsmen who were doing all the work in the for the sanctuary came one by one from the work they were doing and said to Moses, the people are bringing more than is needed for the construction of the work the Lord has commanded to be done. After Moses gave an order, they sent a proclamation through the, throughout the camp. Let no man or woman make anything else as an offering for the sanctuary. So the people stopped. The materials were sufficient for them to do all the work. There was more than enough. Exodus 36, verses 4 to 7. So Moses has to get up and say, enough is enough. Don't bring any more. Don't do it. So imagine Brad, the treasurer, getting up and saying, guys, hey, ease up. We, we don't have any more, we don't have any financial needs. I mean, Kathy's cupboard has fed all the hungry people we can find. We can't find any more. We've got, we got nowhere else to invest in. We've taken care of all of it. The, that's amazing. And Moses has to stand up and say that. They give abundantly. They give joyfully. They give sacrificially. 
So we just pause and ask the question, are you stewarding well? Are you managing well? You might say, no, I'm a terrible manager. Or you might say, I don't know if I am or not. Here's some areas just to examine and inspect our own hearts. First off is ourselves. Are we devoted to him? Paul writes in Romans 12, verse 1, Therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual worship. It's the proper and spiritual act of worship to give yourself fully to the owner and be used as his servant. What about our possessions? Examine it. He's going to hold me accountable for what I've done with the things that he has entrusted to me. Remember that parable we saw last week of the master who gives uh, the servants the talents, and when he returns, he rewards those who used and invested what he had entrusted to them. Lots of areas. Time, right? Examine it. How do I use it? If this is the day the Lord has made, if he has given it to me. Or abilities, the things that he has granted to us. Am I using the abilities he has given me for the glory of God? How are you doing? Are you a good manager? Are you a good steward? What would you do if that examination took place this morning? If the owner called and called on you to give an account for your record and your giving? Would it reflect a humble belief that you're only managing what he owns? Would joy and cheer be the mark of your life? Would you be one who says, yes, obviously, he gives generously. I've been set free from a love of money. Some of us need to think about how we're spending our resources for Christ and for his kingdom. Or would you be found in violating Exodus chapter 20? Would you be in violation of the Eighth Commandment? In what we call ours is ultimately his, my prayer is that we will and that we do proper manage, uh, properly manage what he's entrusted to us. Friends, remember when uh, the woman who loved Jesus she broke the alabaster box, and she poured that expensive ointment over his head. Remember what was said? Why she do this? Uh, th this money could be used in so many different ways. She gave much because she loved much. I want to ask, the, what would your giving say about your love? What would it say if a measure of your love was your giving? What would that look like? What would it look like before God? Well, one helpful acronym. This is from Kevin DeYoung. You know what an acronym is. It's a word, and each of these letters of this word are going to help us understand something. So the word is plan. You can write that down. Plan. P-L-A-N. P. Pray for a generous heart. Make God's people a priority over prosperity. Don't think, how much do I have to give in order to be obedient? Pray, give me opportunities to sow for the kingdom. L, lifestyle cap. 
is we earn more, we should give more. If you're wealthier than you used to be, have you done more to increase your standard of living or, DeYoung says, your standard of giving? It's a great, great question. A, accountability. Set goals and find someone you can trust who won't be threatened by talking very frankly about finances. The same way you can ask someone, how's your Bible reading? How's your prayer life? Find someone to ask. Are you being faithful with the things that God has given to you? And then the end. No less than a tithe. Whether the Old Testament requirement is binding still or not, DeYoung says, I find it hard to imagine that Western Christians who have seen the glory of God in the face of Christ and enjoy great prosperity would want to give less than was required of the poorest Israelite. Friends, statistics show the Protestants, SBCers, but we, all of us, we give less than 3% of our income to local churches. In a Baptist Press article by Ken Waller, he wrote, 30% give 20%. 50% give 0%. And 20% give 80%. It's pretty consistent. Friends, a tithe for most churchgoers is a huge step in the right direction. And if you're wanting to say, you know what, I've never done it. Hey, on the back table, there are tithing envelopes. Take those envelopes, use them each week, mark it out, set it aside. You know, Dave Ramsey has his envelope system. Make that envelope part of your envelope system. Well, let's pray. And let our response be to the Lord. Some of us will need to pray for forgiveness. Some of us need to pray um, to continue to be faithful. Some of us need to pray to be cheerful. Let's pray. Lord, will you forgive us? We have robbed from you. We have taken good gifts that you have given, and we have not responded as we should. Would you forgive me, and would you change me that I may be filled with the mind of Christ and use all that you have given me for your glory? Lord, many of us pray, I know I should be tithing. I know I should be giving more. But fear and worry, they move in like a flood. And even though I know I cannot outgive you, that you provide all of my needs, I'm afraid. And so help me to act on those things that I believe. Lord, I, I haven't been faithful in this area. Would you strengthen me by your spirit that I would stand unashamed at Christ appearing and rightly using the good gifts that you provide? And Lord, some of us pray, Lord, I give. But I've come to trust in formulas and not in your everlasting goodness. I give out of selfish ambition or stingy law, only what I can get by with. Lord, would you help me give joyfully and cheerfully and trust in you with all that I am and all that I have?
confessing that you own it all. Help us to this end, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.